its grip on me. Hallelujah. Isn't that great news? No greater news, is there? Thank you for leading us. Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you that we get to join our voices and sing to you. We thank you for those who are talented musicians and helping us worship you. And Father, we also thank you for your word and the truth that it brings to us, the hope and the courage that it brings to us. We pray this morning we would be changed for, for being in it this morning and understanding you more, knowing you better, and being able to live for you more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just about 2,000 years ago, Jesus told his disciples, while he was on, still on the earth, that he was going to build his church. And he said that the gates of hell would not be able to overcome it. And he was referring to the armies of hell, Satan's evil soldiers or evil workers. And the book of Acts shows us how all that is taking place all through this history. The building by the followers of Christ, those are the ones building his church through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then the attacks by, against the church by those who live according to what Satan would, ha would have them do. And we saw how at one point in the church's early existence that there was this enormous burst of persecution against the saints. That's when Stephen, the great early saint, was martyred, was stoned to death for standing up for the truth. And at that point, persecution broke out like it hadn't before, and the, all the Christians fled. So that was Satan coming after the church. But then it says wherever they went, and they went to different places, they shared the gospel message of eternal life in Christ. So there's Christ building his church in spite of Satan trying to knock it down. Now the reason I like to refer back to the beginning of the church as we've been moving through the book of Acts, and now we're way up to chapter 14, the reason I like to go back and look at the beginning is because we can gain more understanding of why we are here today and the building that we are a part of, mainly, namely the church of Jesus Christ. Now we saw the church flee Jerusalem during that persecution into, and they went into Judea and Samaria, just areas you know, north of uh, Jerusalem. But more recently, in our study in Acts, we've seen Christians move into the nations by the calling of God. And so now we're at that point in the growth of the church, and we read how God called Barnabas and Saul, who is now the Apostle Paul, to be set apart and sent to farther lands away. And I want to show you Here the, the map <clears throat> of where we'll be looking today. You know, you see Jerusalem down here towards the bottom. And they were chased out of Jerusalem. There you go, thank you. And then we're going to be, you know, we've already seen them go up here uh, to 
Paphos, Cyprus. They've been in Cyprus, and now they're going to take this journey on up into that, that area right in there. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> nice to help, have help everywhere you go. So they were sent to Cyprus. And that's where Paul calls a curse on the court magician because this, this Sergius Paulus, who was the proconsul of, of, uh, of oh, Cyprus, the, the, that island nation, the, the proconsul there, he wanted to hear the gospel message because Paul was spreading out throughout the, the island there. <clears throat> and the magician, Elimus, he was trying to prevent that, and he was preventing that. And so Paul got so upset with him and you know, just lost his patience with him that he called a curse down on him, and God blinded him. And so he had people had to lead him around by the hand, and he was highly respected as a magician back in those days, or back then that time. And when the proconsul saw that Paul's power was much more powerful than Elimus's, he, went, he accepted the gospel message because he saw Christ was more powerful. And then they sail to Pamphylia, which we were kind of pointed to a minute ago, which is now modern-day Turkey. They visit a synagogue where Paul tells the, takes the listeners through the history of God's people and shows them God's plan and ends with him sending his son to die on the cross and to take on the sins of the world. And so that salvation is now in Jesus Christ. And he showed all the way through, starting with Abraham and going all the way through the history, we know short order, how God had a plan right from the beginning that Christ in the end would come and take on the sins of the world and people would be saved through faith in him. Now here again, in this area they're going to now, that Paul and Barnabas are going to, uh, they get Gentiles, they preach to the Gentiles, and many turn to the Lord. And so that's God building his kingdom, Christ building his kingdom. But the Jewish leaders in the area, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and made them leave. So as Christ is building, Satan is attacking but God said, Jesus said, Satan won't be able to overcome it. So Paul and Barnabas move into this area called Lyconia. And they're going to visit three cities up there. That's kind of the north part of where we were pointing. And as we read about Paul and Barnabas in these three cities, spreading the gospel message, we'll continue to learn more and more about what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. And that's why we go back, like I said, because as we see what God is building and how he's leading and what happens, it tells us what foundation that we're built upon. And we'll learn more about our calling as a local church and the plan of God as we come closer and closer in our age to the return of Christ. So look with me, if you would, at verses 1 through 7 in chapter 14 of Acts. It says, At Iconium... And this is when they leave that first area. Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. That was their practice, wherever they went. There they spoke so effectively 
that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So they're getting all this opposition, and what do Paul and Barnabas do? It says, it says they double down. They spend considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, and he's confirming their message of his grace. <clears throat> the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So, I'll show you there again. So Paul and Barnabas go into Iconium and they went a great number of Jews and Greeks to the gospel message. So here again, Christ is building his church through his faithful servants and, of course, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but here comes the armies of hell again, working to thwart the reach of the gospel. And it says, by poisoning the minds of those who did not choose to turn to Christ. So what happens? Well, you know, the minds are being poisoned. Some are opposing them. Do Paul and Barnabas say, well, you know, here's the opposition. Maybe it's time we leave. They don't, do they? They double down. They fight back. What are their weapons? It says they spend considerable time speaking boldly for the Lord. It's the same weapons they used to introduce them to Christ. They continue to teach the truth. They teach them further about the Lord. They double down on their mission. And it says the Lord confirmed the message of his grace by enabling Paul and Barnabas to perform signs and wonders. So again, <clears throat> they're doing their human efforts and God is chipping in with the Holy Spirit to even encourage their message. So we have this serious battle going on here between the Jews and the apostles. And of course, we're talking about the Jews that refused to believe, and then the apostles, Barnabas and Paul. And it's said that it even divided the city, unbelieving Jews versus the apostles. So the unbelievers plotted to mistreat and stone Paul and Barnabas, but when they found out <clears throat> that that was going to happen, they fled the city, and what did they do? They headed for two other cities in that area, as well as the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. So again, Christ is building his church, and the armies of hell at every step are trying to overcome it. But what did it take for Paul and Barnabas to decide to leave the city? It took quite a bit, didn't it? Because when they were first opposed, they doubled down on teaching and speaking boldly for the Lord. As they were being attacked, in a sense, you know, verbally or whatever, 
they spent more time teaching. So much so that the enemy plotted a physical attack. They wanted to kill them. They wanted to stone them. You can see who the good guys and the bad guys are, can't you? And they finally left when they found out about the plot to kill them. But where did they go? Well, look at verses 6 and 7 again. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. Now, you know, we follow Paul and Barnabas What makes a person who is being threatened by mobs continue just to go on and on preaching the gospel and even doubling down? And then, when they finally leave because of plots to stone them, they preach the same gospel to the next place they go. Well, you know, I'm sure that we would agree that these are brave, very brave individuals, you know, continuing on in such drastic, threatening circumstances. And perhaps even at the time, you know, God is sending special power from the Holy Spirit like that happens. We see in the Bible, even people who already have the Spirit, God infuses them with extra power from the Spirit in special times. But I believe that a lot of their bravery and boldness comes from their determination to get that saving message out to lost people. I believe that's a big element, a big factor in there when they just keep going and keep going. Like they know and they feel that these people desperately need the message of hope and of God's love. And so... To these two servants of Christ, because, you know, because of God's power, because of God being with them, and because they're knowing that this message is so important and these people need it so badly, it's worth the risk, isn't it? I'm sure they're hoping they won't be killed. And they did end up fleeing when they had the plot against them, when they heard about the plot against them. But yet, they continue to preach the same message that could have cost them their lives and just about did where they just left. And doesn't that show us how important it is to get the message out? I mean, Jesus wants us to get his message out. And he even wants us to be willing to take risks. He wants people all over the world to learn there is forgiveness of sins available to all. And that's a message that so many people don't know. So many people say, if I live good enough, you know, I got God's here, Satan's here. If I line up with God more than Satan, I'll probably make it. But they really don't understand. So many people don't understand, and I didn't at all until I became a Christian, that forgiveness of sins is the key. And it comes only through the gospel message. So it isn't so much 
that we want to die by preaching the gospel. In fact, we want very much not to die by preaching the gospel. But it, we realize then it is worth the threat of death to spread the good news of salvation in Christ. And I'm not saying that <clears throat> we're all automatically there, but I'm just saying that's, that is the, the bottom line, that it is worth risking death. But now we follow Paul and Barnabas as they travel to Lystra and Derby. Look at verses 8 through 10. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Isn't it amazing? People have never walked before in their lives. This is the second person when he's told, does he get up? He jumps up. The last one danced. This guy might have too, who knows. But you know, just before <clears throat> we read on, I'd like to point out something in this little section that we just read. It says that the man born lame listened to Paul as he spoke. So, you know, Paul was speaking, he was listening. And then it says, Paul saw that he had the faith to be healed. Now, as I read that, I was thinking, you know, I don't think Paul was talking about healing when he was preaching to them. I think he was just talking about the gospel message. Because we saw it at one sermon, he went all the way from Abraham and showed how Christ fit into it and how they could have forgiveness in Christ. So I assumed that he was explaining the gospel message because that's what he did, that's what they did wherever they went. And that was everyone's need, the gospel message. But it says when Paul saw him listening the way he was, and I'm guessing that <clears throat> he just had this intensity on his face that he was easily seen to be interested in the gospel message, you know, very interested in the gospel message. And then I think Paul saw that and said, I think he has the faith to be healed. And he was, wasn't he? Now, I'm not saying that this is a formula for healing. I'm not saying that anyone intently listening to a, a sermon is going to be healed automatically. What I'm saying is, that this man was listening to Paul's message with a heart open to God, wanting what God had for him. I'm saying that as he was listening, he was truly desiring God. He had this positive attitude toward God and what he was doing and the message. And then God chose to use this man's situation of being lame from birth due to his attitude of faith toward him to show his power to back up Paul's message of salvation in Christ. And so I think this man was rewarded for his, his attention, his positive attitude towards God, and then God saw that it would be great to heal him and, and bless him as he blesses the whole crowd. 
And one reason that stuck out to me like it did about this man and how he was looking intently and he was healed. One reason that stuck out to me was that we were just reading a Paul and Barnabas experience in Iconium. And we read of a group there that was plotting to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and stone them. And you think of the difference between the attitudes back in Iconium of these Jews that wouldn't believe. And you think of this man intently looking and listening to what Paul said. <clears throat> in Iconium, those opposers were jealous, hateful, close-minded murderers. But the man born lame was seeking God. And he was open to what Paul was saying. And I think the principle is not so much that we can expect a miracle every time we are serious about the word. But I think the, the uh, principle is God rewards those who seek him. He wants us to have seeking hearts, positive hearts toward him. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have a positive seeking heart. If we do, we will be granted everything we want. But it means if we have a positive seeking heart toward God, our lives will be blessed by him. We will be positive followers of Jesus Christ, and we will see him working in our lives. And that's not a guarantee that every single prayer will be answered the way that we are thinking. I happen to think that a lot of times our prayers are answered and we don't recognize it because we were praying in a certain way and God answers it in another way. But I'm thinking that God will be working in our lives for good overall with our faithful, positive attitude toward him. Uh, the other day I was listening to this broadcast. This lady was being interviewed. She had written a book and she'd had this these long-term illnesses, and it was so unexpected, yet she was so, she became so debilitated. She'd had a very difficult physical life, and she would go to the doctor, she was young when it started, she would go to her doctor for help with one problem, and they would do tests and find out she had even another problem, and that happened several times. It was like, Difficult to even listen to how much she, she was suffering in her body. She was married, had children. She couldn't do a lot of the things that she wanted to do as a wife and a mother. But she had this positive seeking attitude toward God. And she knew God was good. And she knew <clears throat> that even though she was having all these physical problems, she was praying, you know, for God to help her and heal her, she knew that God was good. And she rested in that, even though she wished she didn't have those problems. And it was difficult for me just to imagine having all those problems. But then, you know, she, she went on to say how God supplied all of her needs with her helpful family and friends. People would come and just offer to do things. And she ended up setting up you know, schedules, and people would come in and 
regularly do things for her. And she was able to do some things, but not nearly what she wanted to or felt she should. But she had that positive trust in God, even in a really difficult life that you know, was coming to her, was, that she had been dealt. And she said she was never really healed, but felt victorious through God's sustaining love. So God was answering prayers in a sense, but not in the, in the exact way that she probably had prayed. And she had seen God's love and help in ways that most of us will not see. And I believe it's that positive seeking heart that God rewards. Sometimes in the very way we pray, and other times in ways different than we are praying but he brings to pass what is good. And he builds us up in the meantime through it. But it says that Paul saw that he had faith to be healed. He called out to him to stand on his feet and the man jumped up and began to walk. Now let's continue with Paul's talk here in verses 11 through 18. When the crowd saw that Paul had done what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form when they saw that healing. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Imagine that. You're talking, and they start bringing all the sacrificial animals in. <clears throat> but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heavens and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. But even these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. <clears throat> so they mistake Paul and Barnabas for two of their so-called gods because of the lame man's healing. But Paul and Barnabas don't just calmly say, now, 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 we're not gods. We're good, but we're not gods. <clears throat> They tear their clothes and rush into the crowd shouting. And they tell them that the God of heaven is the one who created everything. They had nothing to do with that. He governs the nations. He's shown his kindness to you with rain and food and crops and everything that you need and fills your heart with joy. But even with these words, it says they had a hard time stopping from them from sacrificing to them. Now we know that Paul and Barnabas will not want these pagan worshipers lifting them up as gods. I mean, we see that pretty clearly. But my question was, why do Paul and Barnabas act so strongly against what they're doing? 
I mean, they are frantically trying everything they can to stop them from worshiping them. And, you know, my thought is that you would think that they could just try to reason with them, but they, did, they ran out, and they were ripping their clothes and all that kind of stuff. It was like a sign of mourning. And my thought is that Paul and Barnabas have such a high and holy reverence for God. And because their view of God is com- that he is completely exalted above all, holy, powerful, majestic, glorious, that they can't even for one second accept praise that is due for only God. And it just, it just goes against everything that they are to even allow somebody to say that. Even from people who don't know any better. It's like it almost frightens them to receive to themselves the praise that belongs to God. And I think that's just because they have such a high, you know, accurate view of God who is so holy, so glorious, so exalted. And you see, I think that is what we, our American culture, we have lost that view of God. Even if we probably didn't have it that fully, maybe. But we've lost that exalted view of God as a culture. We've lost that healthy fear of God as holy and transcendent. And we can see that it's really dragging our nation down. You know, today, we have prominent people in our society promoting things that God calls an abomination. And at the same time, these same people, some of these same people will say that they believe in God. And some are saying they're following Christ. And they don't seem to have any kind of respect for them. But it says that even with Paul and Barnabas' attempts to stop their worship, they had great difficulty stopping their sacrifices. But now let's see what happens when the enemies of God act out. Look at verses 19 and 20. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So they come from where they were before and they're trying to you know, poison the crowd. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. The cost of serving God and spreading his gospel. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. And we might add, if we're brave enough to, and the gates of hell will never stop trying to be able to overcome it. But Paul and Barnabas show us what it means to be dedicated to Christ and his church. And if we could have that same level of dedication. But now they go to their last city before returning home, city of Derby, verses 21 through 25. 
They preached the gospel in that city, Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They're retracing their steps. So they, they go to another city and win a large number of disciples. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, those places they had already visited, they went down to Atalia. <clears throat> so in Derby, they're doing it all over again, winning large number of people to, to the Lord, you know, just continuing on with the Lord's work. On the way back home, they visit the same cities they made disciples in earlier, young disciples, young Christians or new Christians. And, you know, they, we really need to follow up on young Christians, don't we? New Christians. I mean, if we've been a Christian a long time, we maybe can't relate to them that easily. But new Christians, they really need to be encouraged and confirmed in the faith and strengthened in their resolve. Because they'll have, you know, Satan, the armies of hell, or whatever, encouraging them to leave the faith, trying to work against it. So you can't just walk away from new believers, can you? Some will have doubts. Some will have family members or longtime friends questioning their decision challenging their decision, even maybe mocking their decision to follow Christ. And it may lead them to doubt if the, if the pressure's on enough. And follow-up visits of one kind or another can really be lifesavers for new believers. So Paul and Barnabas tell them that Christians go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And there again, the gates of hell. We have a fierce enemy. He wants to shipwreck believers. If we think everything is supposed to go smoothly, that mindset can lead us into a lot of hurt and trouble. We must brace ourselves and stand strong in the faith. We must commit our hearts and minds to follow Christ. It must consume our lives, you know, that we belong to Christ and we want to live for him. And then we must realize that we will have weak spots, areas that we will be vulnerable in as individuals. And we must be on the watch for our spiritual health. Not that we're terrified. It just means staying close to Jesus in word and prayer and in fellowship with God's people. And sharing the message of saving faith can be a major, major help. So let's see how this trip ends, our last three verses. So from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed. That was the church that they got, got Paul and Barnabas got called from by God. Back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time 
with the disciples. What a fantastic ministry trip. The word of God spread. Many disciples made. A lot of opposition. But the faithfulness of God winning out. And seeing the words of Jesus playing out in real life. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. And all that is for us too, isn't it? And he's still building upon that same rock that Jesus is the Messiah and he's coming back to save his people. But for this time, we are also the workers. Let's pray.